Hello, everyone. Thanks once again for tuning in to a moment of analysis, uh, Cincinnati Bearcat football podcast. Once again, it's I, Tony, and uh, joining me today is Matt Opper. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Matt Opper. And uh, he's not in a good mood. Um, I'm a little bit. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm in a bad mood. I'm miffed. Okay. That's um, fair. And generally, I enjoy an opportunity to get angry, like irrationally mm-hmm. angry. That's, that's a bit of fun. Um, so, like, I'm not, you know, like super mad. I kind of enjoy this, but yeah. I mean, I mean, you just want to jump right into it. I mean, yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah. So I mean, we're joining right after the uh, what is it? The college football playoff. Uh, rankings came out. Um, as we all know, in the AP, Cincinnati was number two. Um, and Gary Barta and his lackeys decided that uh, they're gonna put on number six. So, yeah, um, I'm gonna let Matt take it away from here. You go ahead and let me just let it out right now, and we'll go from there. Just... Yeah, so like after Houston and SMU were not ranked. Um, it should have been clear what was going to happen. Uh, like, there is just when you see that happen right away, it kind of gives you an indication of how this is going to go because they're not going to give UC any benefit of the doubt. You know, you even heard Gary Barta say in his comments, you know, they beat Notre Dame, that was a good win, but who have they beat since? It's like everybody on the schedule, I'm like everyone, yeah. but like. 17 teams. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of comment that you can make when you know that you potentially took any runway away from UC to get two more quality wins. Right. Um, we don't know. Like, this is the first ranking. These things always change. We don't know what is going to happen if Houston and SMU went out until they play UC both. Um, I would imagine that they would get ranked just because there's going to be a lot of attrition at the bottom half of this bowl because some teams that are not very good are ranked. I mean, Wisconsin has no business being anywhere near this. You know, Wisconsin is the only is like the marquee win for Notre Dame, and they use that probably up to ten. But you think it's no better for the doubt for beating Notre Dame, which is odd, right? Like, there's no one of the three best wins that anybody has. There's no logical explanation to say, hey, we're going to move Notre Dame up to 10, but keep Cincinnati at six. It, I don't, I don't see, I don't really see the logic of Ohio State being five and Oregon being four. I mean, I do because Oregon lost to a no, Oregon lost to a Stanford team. Okay. That who's three and five. It's really, really bad. Who if you put Cincinnati and Stanford on the bill that on the same field, that would be a really bad game. Like that game would go south really fast. Yeah, I mean, like, there is no rhyme or reason because there is no rhyme or reason to what they do. You know, this is a gay to country club. Let's call it what it is. They have no desire or no interest in letting anybody else in. And the fact that they are so adamant about not expanding the playoff at the moment is—it's—it's it's literally killing the sport. Because for the last month of the year, nobody gives a nobody gives a shit about the conference races. Nobody gives a shit about who's playing well. You know, right. a story like UTEP 
in previous years would be national news because that is a program that has been moribund to say the least. And they're six and one this year, having the best year in like 20 years, but nobody talks about it because it's not the playoff. That's all that anybody cares about. And part of that is ESPN owns the playoff. It's in their, it, it's a vested interest for them to make sure that they talk about the playoff constantly. And they do, but that is, I mean, it's like, it's a short-term profit. It's good for you in the, it's good for you. It's good for your bottom line right now, but in the long run, it's killing the sport because this is on the verge of becoming, it, it, it's a national sport now. It's mm-hmm. on the verge of becoming something that it's, that's not. It's going to become very regionalized like it used to be back in the 50s and the 60s before national television, before cable television changed the sport. Right. Um, it's going to go back in that direction if they don't expand the playoff. Um, but that's that's another conversation for another day. That's more of an off-season conversation. Right now, I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. Like, UC has one of the best strengths of, of records, of resumes of anybody in the country. And all the serious football people who actually know the sport acknowledge that. But the committee right. is not going to do it. The committee, I will say this. There's a high turnover rate on that committee. Uh, outside of Barney. Yeah, I mean, it's seven new people, but they're doing right. the exact same shit they've always done. It's, well, not, that's, it's new, but it's not. No, what I'm saying is, I always feel like there's a reason why there's a high turnover rate, right? Um, you have to come out of this thing feeling slimy, right? At the end of the year, every every year, unless it's clear cut, right? Um, and so I can imagine not wanting to do this again. Because imagine being on that, because imagine being on that panel, right? And and you're you're someone who's trying to look at this thing objectively. And you say, hey, I think this team is better than y'all ranked them. Imagine the backlash you get behind closed doors for even trying to put another team that they don't deem worthy, right? Higher than they should be. And 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 it's it's one of those things where I look at this thing. Like when I came into, honestly, when when this thing, when today started, I was like, you know the chances of UC actually being in the playoff race is probably like very low because Gary Barta has shown his, because we all know he's the ringleader or he's, or he's willing to be the talking head, right? No, he is the meat shield. He is not the ringleader. I'm sorry. Sorry. He's, he's the meat shield. That's all he is. That is the job. It's just like being the commissioner in the NFL. Your job is to take all the shit. That's the job. So, that's that's what you're paid for. So then the people behind the scenes, like outside of the people voting, right? So everybody voted him to be the meat shield. He takes it, you know, uh, without batting an eye. Uh, and, you know, his first words, he I, he's pretty much said, we respect Cincinnati, but we don't. Like those, like we, we you know, we respect Cincinnati because everybody else say they should be respected, but from behind closed doors, we don't care about them. And we know if we don't put Cincinnati at least in the top six, you know, our cover is blown more than we want it to be. When the reality is already blown, we all know the truth. There's no, there's like, you didn't put Houston or SU, Houston or SMU in the top 10. You put Fresno state, Fresno state with two losses. 
Fresno State with two losses in the yeah. Mountain West in the top 10. And San Diego I mean, the top State 10, sorry, top 25. G- sorry, go. Yeah, and San Diego State is just G5 Iowa. I mean, right. With they have, they have a very good defense, a better punter, and no offense. Like, I'm it, looking at it, it Minnesota. Minnesota? Minnesota. Minnesota. That's what we're doing now. Obvious. You have one, two, three. What is it? Four, five, six. Am I missing? I think I'm missing uh, six big 10 teams in the top 25. Why? Why? Big 10 is not good enough to have six teams in the top 25. They're just no, not. But, but they schedule very they, – they schedule smartly. They, they put all – they front load all the shitty teams and all the good teams schedule so that they can rack up a lot of wins and get ranked. And then in the end, when they cannibalize each other, well, everyone other than Ohio State, they right. then they have shield. They have deniability. You know, this was a really good team. I mean, were they? But, I, like, it just – I'm not surprised. Like I said, as soon as I saw that first five come out and there's no SMU, no Houston, I knew where this was going. I knew where it was headed. There's no real reason to be surprised. But that doesn't mean people aren't going to be angry. And Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know, I, I don't think the game day producers have any idea what they're going to put their people through. No, they Saturday. didn't. I think the game day, honest, I'm be, I'm be straight up. I don't think they were privy to what was about to happen, like you said. No, they don't. They don't know the rankings, right? Um, but they, they picked UC for game day because this is going to be the talk of the sport for the rest of the week. Right. It's going to be the talk of the sport for the rest of the season. I thought they thought, probably thought it was going to go more positive direction, though. Maybe. I mean, they're, they're you know, as, as Sir Gary Barta said himself, you know, they're already the top-ranked group of five team ever. I mean, yeah, but that's so that's so backhanded. Like, that's such a backhanded. Like, what? Yeah, and then you put multiple one-loss teams in front of – one of, like I said, one of seven unbeaten teams in the co- in the country. Why, why would you? Here's the crazy part, right? We don't know what Wake Forest is because Wake Forest has really played anyone of note. We don't know what Oklahoma is because they keep they'll you know they keep playing teams they shouldn't play close close. Uh, which you know, but it. Here's the thing. Michigan State and Ohio State game is going to be interesting because Ohio State can't really stop the run. I mean, they can. Ohio State, no. Ohio State can stop the run. And Michigan State has one of the best running backs in the game. But Ohio Michigan, State still has serious, serious defensive problems. Yes. They are probably not going to, to crop up in Big Ten play because right. there's not a lot of quarterbacks. Well, like, they have one good quarterback in the league, right. and it's Ohio State. Yeah. Um, like honestly, like if you're gonna power rank quarterbacks on uh, on Big Ten rosters, the top two are probably Ohio State quarterbacks. Maybe the top three, even if you know, even Quinn Ewers, who's on the roster, a freshman has never really played. Nobody knows exactly what he is, but he probably 
you know, you probably take him over pretty much any other quarterback just on raw talent alone. I mean, he, in terms of simple talent, he's not quite on the Trevor Lawrence level, but a step below, which is really, really good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, the teams that are going to be able to exploit the weaknesses that Ohio State has on defense, and there yeah. are the, the issues are still there. I mean, you right. can't change a structure in season. It's impossible to do. You can make adjustments. You can deploy your personnel in a smarter way. But the fundamental problems that are baked into that defense that were shown in the Oregon game, they're still there. Um, you know, like they, they – and the issue with them is right now, the scheme that they want to play – only works if you have a Chase Young, a Bosa brother at defensive end to completely wreck shop. If you don't have that player and they don't have it right now um, at, at defensive end, like it doesn't, it makes it very, very difficult to execute that defense at a high level. And that's the issue that they have. But like I said, most Big Ten teams are not going to be able to exploit those weaknesses. Like Penn State had guys open, they schemed guys open a lot on those backside digs. Those were open yeah. all day. Sean Their quarterback was hurt, too. Throw. He was also hurt. He was also still hurt. Yeah, I mean, um, he's, like, playing at right. 70%. Right. Um, and it's his side, which would affect their throwing power, right? I don't know exactly where he was hurt, but I know he kept grabbing the side of his body. And that means that he can't really put effort into his throws like he needs to, but he's better than whoever's the backup is still at 70%. Correct. Uh, <laughs> And, yeah, I saw and, the Iowa game. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So then, like, it's one of those things where Michigan State can't throw the ball, but they can run all over you, and Ohio State has big enough players on the line to stop the run. That's really what that is. Like, the Ohio State all, decent line is decent. They're just bigger and stronger than – They're good, they're good, in, they're good right. on the interior. They're not right. as good at the – Right. And so, Michigan State, I don't – that that's game is going to be an interesting game to watch to see how, you know, see which one wins that one. But outside of that, Michigan is not beating Ohio State only because I don't see a quarterback that can throw well enough through. Like, Michigan. He, play, he played better than I thought he would in that Michigan State game. Michigan, Michigan State, State babies are questionable as well, though. They are. If they can play their game where they can get really physical with receivers and kind of hook them up on the lines, they're okay. If they have to back off that because they're getting beat, they're in deep trouble. Like, I think they're going to have real issues with Ohio State because they have that deep passing game. They have that Dwayne Haskins playbook that's really super easy for the quarterback to decipher. And it creates a lot of one-on-one matchups that they're going to be able to exploit. Like, when you look at the playoff, these things will sort itself out. I don't think Oregon's going to stay with one loss. I just don't. I don't no, think they're that good. I don't think they're that dynamic. They really miss Burdell. And Anthony Brown is not is not the issue. You know, not he, he's not the truth at quarterback. Um, you know, Michigan State, Ohio State, that'll work itself out. What yeah. they have to worry about is Oklahoma coming from behind. But even then, I don't think they are going to go undefeated. No, not at all through Baylor and Oklahoma State. I think they're going to pick up a loss there just because they're so inconsistent. And, like, their defense has a fundamental problem with tackling. Like, they don't do it. Uh, right. That's going to eventually become too much for them to overcome, even with Caleb Williams, the quarterback. And I think that's really going to wake up against Baylor. And I think that yeah. tackling issue is going to really wake up against Baylor because the way because Baylor, Baylor runs the fuck out of the ball. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, like, if UC takes care of business and doesn't do any stupid stuff, they should end up in the top four at the end of the season. 
whether they actually will, like they will be deserving of that spot. Whether right. they get it, we'll see. But, you know, like Alabama, Georgia, that's going to sort stuff out unless Alabama beats Georgia. Right. In which case you got two SEC teams, probably a Big Ten champion. And the fourth one is where you, you either get that second SEC team or you get and I think we all know if this comes down to a one loss or a two loss Alabama versus Cincinnati, they're going to choose Alabama just because they're just going to say I test. Right. Even though Alabama hasn't played like Alabama at all this year. Hmm. Um, like they're not the death star they were last year, but people can't get it, yeah. get over the uniform. So they can't, I mean, it just, it just kind of is what it is at this point. Like all mm-hmm. they can control is their stuff. And, and if you watch the presser with Desmond, um today you know you i can you can tell that they're pissed off and they're trying to hide it but they're you know you talking about the presser earlier today yeah so you think des knew something already or they just expected something i think they expected i don't know if they expected and i don't know expected it to be like this this exact scenario but I knew it, it felt like they expected to be kind of shortchanged. And and this is the because Des and here's here's the thing that I like they asked Des to come on to the show for what? Like if y'all y'all if y'all knew that there's a good chance that Cincinnati be shafted, what is like whatever that's doing for the bottom line for ESPN is that is a garbage request. It really is. And Des made the right move saying no, he really did. Yeah, I mean, like, like he'll he'll be on game day on Saturday. He's he's gonna get plenty of, of attention. That's not the issue. Um, like, I don't think ESPN's producers of the show knew what was gonna happen. They usually they don't. I mean, the the right. they get the rankings a little bit before they go live, but it's not like they know it in their their producing meetings when they plan this. You know, a couple of days in advance. I mean, it just kind of is what it is at this point. All you seeking control is what they can control they can control their play on the field and you know kind of kind of feel bad for Tulsa because this is this is going to be a very angry very motivated team coming in absolutely um I seen uh one of the uh one of the Cincinnati players online and you know on Twitter and you know he was he wasn't very happy and I'm like oh it's going to get back. It it's getting back. And, you know, you know, Fickle does this whole thing where he doesn't watch or know anything. And I believe him to a degree, but he knows this. He paid attention to this a little bit. Right. Or somebody going to tell him and he's not going to like it. Not saying like this is a focal point for him, but just kind of get a barometer of what's happening. The temperature of what's happening around him in the league, um, in, in, in the in the college football. He knows he has a barometer. He has somebody whispering to him, like, hey, these things are happening. Not that he is, it's a, like I said, it's not a focal point to anything that he does. But as a coach, you have to have a barometer of what happened around you just so you, you know what I mean? You just got to kind of know um, what the path looks like to anything that you're doing, you know? Yeah. And at this point, the path is clear. I mean, like, you just right. have to control, exactly. control the controllables. There are things that you cannot deal with. And it's like it's like any other big problem, you know. When you write out the the obstacles or whatever's in the way between mm-hmm. you and the goal that you want to achieve, 
you know, go through that list. What things are actually in your control? What things are outside influences that you have no say in? You know, cross out the ones you don't have any control of. Exactly. That's all you can do. And um, one last thing, and then we can move on to, uh, you know, Tulane, and then we can go to Tosa. Tosa, uh, which I think having Tulane and Tosa back to back is really hard for a lot of people because those school schools it's, get mixed up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the twos. Exactly. It's the twos. But uh, for uh, um, Gary, uh, I forgot his last name that fast. Barda. For, Barda. To, for him to say we watched the last couple of weeks and seeing Cincinnati struggle, well, and, and it made me, and then for them to put, so you put Oklahoma at eight to be able to make that that comment, right? So you put Oklahoma that far back to be able to make that comment and be like, we seen how Cincinnati played. We put them at six the last two weeks. We seen how Oklahoma played is the same. You is you do it to be able to make the same comment about Oklahoma, right? Um, no, you do it to be able to you do that so you can go back to Oklahoma and make that same comment to justify your foolishness. Well, we put Oklahoma at eight for the same reason. Oh, okay. Um, and and and, and for me, I just feel like that's ridiculous. Like if you're looking at head-to-head matchups, Tulane <clears throat> uh, for Cincinnati and Tulane for well, Tulane for Oklahoma. And yeah. oh, Cincinnati's higher than Oklahoma. So they justify that as well. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, and like I'm sure on their sheets it says that that was a, a road game for right. Oklahoma because it was originally scheduled to be, even though it was played right. in Norman, and they only won by five. Um, yeah, like, I don't get too caught up in what he says. All he's trying to do is justify his existence. That's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. That's all he's doing. Um, he fucking sucks at it. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I get to laugh at him. And, you yeah. know, I also get to laugh at him because he's a fucking millionaire and he has teeth like a 1960s British person. Yo, when I was looking at his teeth, I'm like, oh, dude, like how? Like, what do you... You can, af- you can afford good dental work. Like, you can take... You, the- you, you are under... You are you have insurance, I presume. Like, you choose to be like that. You want to... You walk out the house. You look at yourself in the mirror and say, yep, and walk out the house and live a life. I, I don't understand. I just yeah. can't. No. All right. <laughs> Enough about that foolishness. Because you know what? Honestly, when I seen it, I wasn't that angry because I was like, "Oh, that's about right." So you know, I'm. I'm it is what it is. Like you said, uh, they just keep playing their game. Uh, do what they can do. Control what they can control. And uh, Tulane was a game they could control. They pretty much did control. Uh, for the most part. And when you only have about ten, uh, you know, series, you know, on offense there is very few opportunities to score more than 30 points. So, um, yeah, you know, you, do you want to take this one away and kind of get into it or, you know? Yeah. Like I, I think it was, it, it's obviously not the best game that the, the Bearcats have played this year. Um, in watching it back today, I don't think it was nearly as bad as the first look in, um, on Saturday, you know, but it's always that way. Like when you go back and you actually watch the things, they played fine. They made some mistakes. They had two really golden opportunities to just absolutely put their foot on their neck at the end of the second quarter when they got possession in scoring up. Like they, they took the ball over with a scoring opportunity. And on those two drives, they only got three points. That was right. a killer. 
I mean, that could have, like, that would have been 28-12. And nobody could say a damn thing to them. Um, not what happened. They didn't close the door. And that is two weeks in a row where they have been able to get pretty good um, field position off turnovers and off special teams and not really be able to take advantage of that to slow to, to completely slam the door in somebody's face um, early in the game. I mean, they could have done the same thing the Navy. Obviously, the Navy opportunities were a little bit later, more in the third quarter. But, you know, like, that's, that's something to monitor. I'm not sure that's a repeatable thing. I mean, you know, if Lenny doesn't fall down on a, a pretty easy, you know, kind of dig route, it's the first down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a play that they made quite a bit. Like, it, it's just kind of kind of bad luck for them on that. I, I don't think that they, – did they play their best? No. Are there areas for opportunity? Yes. Um, but the performance itself wasn't that bad. And that's just kind of where, you know, the expectations for perfection for this team, especially offensively, aren't exactly fair because this is not a system that is designed or, you know, implemented to create, you know, massive scoring opportunities, massive big plays constantly. Right. That's just not what they do. That's not what they're geared to do. I think they should do more of it. It just kind of is what it is at this point. They are committed to balance for balance's sake. Mm -hmm. Do I think that's a mistake? Yes. I don't believe in balance for balance's sake. It, it's as simple as do what you do well. Right. Because that's the easiest way to succeed in college football, just because you have so little practice time. You have so little time that you can spend breaking down film and doing that. You get 20 hours a week. That's it. 10 of those are practice, 10 of those are meetings. Mm -hmm. So you can study film and do that as a group. But I think the biggest thing with them in the Tulane game, is it just seemed like they were trying to do too much offensively, too many personnel groupings, too much you know, flipping personnel constantly. Um, and they got to be better about – and this is like something that's really easy to fix. They got to get the personnel groupings in – it's one of the two things. They either get the personnel grouping that earlier so that you're not snapping the ball with 10 seconds left. Because the problem with them in the Tulane game, especially with their sluggish in the first half, they're not even getting the right personnel onto the field until there's 25 seconds left on the, on right. the play clock. Right. You see motions before every single play. Right. So even when the guy is set, you got another five seconds of motion. So you're snapping the ball with 15, 10 seconds left. And that's really hard for quarterbacks to get into a rhythm. And I think that's the biggest issue with Des right now is he, he has no, no real rhythm, no feel to what he's – not to what he's doing. Like, he knows the plan. He sits in on the game planning meetings, obviously. It's just the slow and deliberate pace, I mm -hmm. think, makes it a little bit more difficult for him. Because I think he seems to, to me to be a guy when he can, rep, like, run off plays, quick like on the on the drive after Tulane took the lead like they went right down the field right to get that touchdown that was 80 yards, yards and five 80. plays 80 okay 80 not the 99, yeah, 80 yard one 80 yeah. yards five plays about 90 seconds yeah. they need to do more of that and, and on that drive they didn't switch 
personnel at all. They stay in 11 the entire time. You know, they flex Josh in and out. So sometimes it was two by two. Sometimes it was, you know, two by two with an inline tight end or a tight end at the Y. But I, I think that's something that they need to do more of is for a series, two series, three series yeah. a game, pick five, go. Like you can do, like if you pick a personnel grouping of Pierce, Wiley, Ford, and either Young, um, either Young or, or Scott, you can do a lot. You can yeah. you can line up in five wide with the same personnel grouping. It'll look exactly like five wide, even though you have a tight end and a running back. You can motion the running back in. Now you're in, you know, now you're in ten, or you can be in eleven. Like there's so many different things that you can do with the same five people that doesn't require you to constantly swap personnel groupings and take 20 seconds to do that. They, they need to stop trying to be perfect all the time. They need to stop letting good be the enemy of great. Right. Because sometimes like when you have talent advantage, like they had against two, you know, Tulane, like they had against baby, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah, good is no. fine. Good is fine. And they don't let good be good enough enough. They don't put pressure on, and that's part of not moving fast enough. They don't apply pressure enough um, to break, right? To break the will of other team. Uh, one good there was the one the one good thing about old Cincinnati teams, even though they were runners, even though it was a run heavy team, is that they applied pressure to defenses until the defense broke, and the defense will break every game eventually. You know, they broke UCLA, they broke UCF eventually. You know, and 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 it's one of those things where uh, they still have the talent to break off defenses, and they they move too slow to do it. And Des, he's you can't let Des think too much. That's like if you if you let Des start to think too much, he kind of gets into his own head. When like you said, when you let him play and let him just fire off, he runs the ball more when you let him just fire off. He throws a better ball when you let him just fire off. When he has to think before the play, he's going to give it to Ford every time. Like, he's going to read it wrong. Like, it's just one of those things, even though sometimes, even though sometimes there is a, uh, even though most of the time it's, you know, not a read to be had because it's just straight give it to Ford, which those inside zones are great. They have to develop an outside zone. It just has to happen if they don't have it already. Well, Uh, they need to, they need to stop trying to, like, this is the only real complaint I have with the offense this mm -hmm. year is, I, I'm not sure that Denbrock knows what the strength of his offense is because Absolute, he seems yes. to think that it yes. is in the center of the offensive line with the inside zone. It's not what the strength of this offense is. It's not. Their strength is on the perimeter. They can absolutely almost anybody in the country on the perimeter. Um, but they keep trying to run into these six man boxes. Like, you know, a six man box should usually be, well, it can be a runner. Or it can be a pass. Right. But for them, it's a run every time. And I don't understand the mentality of why that should be. I mean, like, if you look at the early downs, uh, the run splits, like, they're running on early downs 53% of the time. That is, that's like 1995, early 2000s numbers. Like, you need to be, that needs to be inverted. You need to be throwing at least 55, 60% of the time on first downs just because, Mm. and like, it's a math problem. So, you have to get 10 yards and three downs. Right. For the last 20 years, 
the average pass has got about 6.5 to 7 yards, depending on the year. The average run goes 4.5 to 5. Right. Now, just because Jerome Ford averages 6.9 yards per carry doesn't mean that every time you run the ball on first and 10, you're going to get 6.9. Exactly. Yeah. But they, they, they take that mentality that that is the smarter play. Like the numbers are irrefutable at this point. It, it's like arguing over like corner threes versus mid range jumpers. They're not the same. One is actually worth more than the other. Like it's mathematically proven. You cannot dispute the math of it. It is what it is. But they like Denbrock is such an old school guy that he just can't quite give up on the idea of the first and 10 run. The, it, it's not that the first and 10 run is a problem. They usually get about three or four yards, which puts you in second and six, which you can live with. Right. That's So the first and 10 run is not my favorite thing, but I can understand it. The second and 10, the, the second and 15 yeah. draw. Right. It's got to go. Yeah. It, it does not have a place in a modern offense, in an effective offense. It just doesn't. Like Defenses are too fast. To, well, yeah, like even to if do you that. hit it perfectly, you yeah. might get you might get a first down. Yeah. But you're going to do that like one out of twenty times, right? right. And especially when everyone knows you and knows your mo and knows oh, absolutely. your predilection for these, you know, kind of really dumb. It's just a dumbass decision that you cannot make. But he continues to make it at, at an alarming rate, and that's the thing that continues to frustrate me with this offense is it's not it's not the scheme no the scheme's fine yeah i i wish he had a slightly better feel for the game in terms of um you know when to when to take shots when not to take shots like they didn't use short game at all against tulane no like there was no stick there was no mesh you know the one mesh play i saw well, re- they did a couple times. They remember, did some short was, stuff early. They did some short stuff early, and then they went right away from it real fast. Even they was getting six, seven yards a pop because teams are scared of UC speed. They're going to back off. That's an easy seven yards every time. Yeah. And for the life of me, I don't understand why they don't take the easy yards when they're there. I mean, the free access throws that this offense gets—not that they're easy throws. I mean, a, a five-yard hitch to the far sideline. That's a tough throw. Oh, yeah. Dez has the arm strength to make it. Like he, mm-hmm. he made one of those throws against Notre Dame in a really tricky situation that was a perfectly placed ball. Like right. it was to Jane Thompson. It was, it was barely tipped by the Notre Dame CB. Um, but they went down and continued to sco- score on that drive. Like it's not a killer to kind of take those free access throws. They just don't do it. They'd rather push the ball down the field or, you know, run inside zone again. Right. And, and here's the thing that I think that they they know because they've been coaching so long. But once again, I like I say this every week, Denbrock has Denbrock is it struggles with play, play calling. I say it every week. We see it every week. We've seen it since the beginning. He hasn't really got he's gotten a little bit better with play calling, but he still struggles with it. He just and play calling is hard. I'll tell you that every time. That's why it's that's why good coordinators are hard to find. It's a hard thing to do. Um, and, and, and Denbrock, uh, and, and once again, but you also have to take into consideration, right. And we talk about Denbrock all the time. The Dougley, um, I think he's a fine, fine coach. He's the eye in the sky. The Dougley is the eye in the sky. Who's, who's sending down, uh, what he's seeing and suggestions, 
right? And we don't know what those suggestions are, how good they are. Um, he's feeding into Denbrock's ear and how they're choosing those plays because he's also the passing game coordinator, right? Yeah, I mean, he design, he designs the passing game. So, right. like, right now you see runs. I mean, the personnel is fairly pro-style, but the passing game is entirely air raid. Like, they right. run mesh, wide snag, wide cross, four verts, stick, levels, uh, all the classic air raid stuff they have in the book. Um, they don't they run some of it more than others, but it's there. Um, like the, the biggest thing for me, like Denbrock calls plays. Right. He does not call an offense. Right. No, I'm, I'm with there's, you. There's, there, there seems to be no rhyme or reason. Like, yes. The series, there seems yes. to be no rhyme or reason to what they're trying to do or what the plan even is. What are you um, setting up for? What are you setting up for? Where is the setup? Yeah. And like some of it, like the, the, um, the second touchdown pass to Wiley. That's something they've been setting up by going to these four tight end groupings more in power situations. Yeah. Um, and kind of doing the motion and insert with Wiley. And then they kind of faked it so that he got to that. But like, so he sets up those situations pretty well. Yeah. But like first and 10, second and eight, second and five. Like, I don't think the game inside the had, game. Yeah, I don't think he yeah. has a good feel for that at all. Yeah. Um, and, like, this is a conversa- conversation for after the season, but, like, you cannot take this offense into the Big 12. You're not going to succeed. No. Um, because they it, try to live in two worlds. They try to live in a power world and a spread world. Right. And there's no overlap between, like, the Venn diagram between their two, two worlds, like, there's no overlap whatsoever. Um, they don't really... They're a good, pretty good running team. You know, they, they run pretty well, but there's no pet, you know, play action passing game to speak of. Play action. I was just about to say that. You can't run a, a you can't run a power spread without play action. You it does no, and you can't and you cannot run play action effectively from the shotgun. Right. You can't. You're not gonna create, right. especially when your base play is inside zone. Exactly. Inside zone is all vertical for both the offensive line and the defensive line. They're just trying to go forward. They're not trying to go side to side. So there's no like the reason why the outside zone with either under center or an epistol is so effective is because for you to effectively defend it as a defense, for you to effectively defend it, you need to move laterally. Right. And then you can play off that as an offense to boot behind it. But if you don't create any flow, there's no, there's no play action passing game. No bootlegs, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You might occasionally get like a a pop pass to a tight end over Uh, a defensive, you know, over a linebacker crashing or a safety crashing from from depth, but like that's not something they even try to do, um, and that's that's a problem. Like, if you can effectively live in both those worlds, it's it's not ideal to having like a having two separate offenses. It's not ideal, yeah. but you can get away with it. You know, when you have a massive talent advantage like UC has over everybody in this conference at the moment. Um, but it's like the offense was more cohesive in 2018 than it is right now. Oh, yeah. Because they refused to pick an identity. Yeah. Like I said, the identity should be on the perimeter with Tyler Scott, with Alec Pierce, with Wiley over the middle, with Lenny over the middle. But mm-hmm. 
they're trying to be balanced for balance's sake. And it's just not effective. Like, I, I think they need to pick a side. I, I would go with the passing game because I think it's going to be more effective. And just generally passing is more efficient than, than running. That's like not debatable at this point. Like I, I said, the math is overwhelming, but they just don't. I wouldn't say they, they need to pick a don't side. Choose it. I wouldn't say they need to pick a side so strongly. Here's why. You can marry those two. You can marry those two. Right. You really can. Like we was talking about earlier, you really have to implement what you want to do into the offense. And they don't do that marrying them. Right. They they keep them separate as individuals. We're going to do our running here. We're going to do our passing here. We don't interchange them at all. So, you know, uh, uh, whoever the running game coordinator is, who's probably Denbrock, needs to get with, or who is Cook? Who? Crook, yeah. The line oh, coach. Crook. So, the Gadoogly and Crook needs to get together and work out how they're going to marry the two. Because here's the bottom line. Here's the truth of the matter. Uh, if you run bootlegs, naked bootlegs, bootlegs any sort, if you run, um, you know, play actions, da, 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 you can marry the run game and the pass game, right? Because what happens is you can also run the run game off of those things as well. They're not doing them at all. Uh, and, and, and they're not also not utilizing an outside zone, which is a huge issue. And when you have your, and here's, and you told me it's crook, which makes a whole lot of sense of why everything is inside zone, because you have an officer line coach <laughs> tell you to creating the run game, which means that if any officer line coach, honestly, I've, I've been an officer line coach. I've been around many of officer line coaches and what they want to do is run it down people's throat because that's what they, that's what they want. They want like the Austin line coach is always going to be like right down the middle. Let's go. And it's like, yo, like we got to do something other like the fact that Navy and to some extent Tulane both can run bullets successfully. Your offense is a problem. It's too predictable. It's too predictable. And and when every team can say, hey, we can bail out every defense say, hey, we can bail out. We can bail out. And, and, and then they have to throw underneath the whole time. And they won't throw underneath the whole time because they refuse to. That's predictable. And the offense is too predictable on those two fronts. Once again, if you take – if you – with Tyler, uh, to a lesser extent, Pierce, but Tyler Tucker, you take Tyler Tucker and Michael Young, right, and, and you run – those small you run those 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 hitches and those in in those uh what is it comebacks and all those other things that you have eventually one of those one of those athletic freaks are going to break something they're going to break a tackle and go down the sideline and teams are going to have to move and play uh and they're going to have to play uh true they can't keep belling and, and eventually, then you're going to be able to go over the top. It's like they're not playing to set that up, though. If teams are bailing, you have to play the underneath to set up the deep routes because teams are going to play. Either teams going to settle in like, okay, we're going to let them keep having that. We don't care. And then you just have to nickel and dine them down the field. Or they're going to move or they're going to start playing more true. And then you can go over the top. But as long as long as as long as you're trying to force your will on something that's not available, you're always going to have these moments of just lag and nothing and zero and punts. It's just, <laughs> that's how football works. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, and like, I think one of the fundamental difference, 
differences between how modern analytically driven coaches view a success mm-hmm. versus what this I don't know if it's just Dan Brock, but this let's say this offensive staff is mm-hmm. for this offensive staff on first down, a three yard run is a success. Yes. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. Object like the right. success rate as defined by modern analytics by you know Bill Conley and the and those kind of folks. Fifty percent of the you know fifty percent of the yards to gain on first down. So unless you're getting five yards every time you're running on first down, it's not a success. Right. But this staff views a three yard gain or a four yard gain over the course of fifteen first down carries to be a success. It's mm-hmm. not. It's putting you in a situation. It's putting you in passing down immediately. Right. Second and seven is a passing down. This oh, offense yeah. fucking sucks at passing downs. Oh, yeah. Like our, our, our average success rate on passing downs is like 33% because when they get in them, they're huge. You know, the average passing down for UC seems to be more like, you know, 10 yards, 11 yards. And that's a really difficult place to succeed. Like the best offenses in the, in the sport, they might convert that on 25% of the right. opportunities, maybe 33 like Alabama last year probably was closer to 40. But that's not where you see that. And like the, the refusal to acknowledge that that's not a strength and that they should try to avoid those situations. I mean, Des can bail you out of some shit, but like his third down efficiency numbers this year are really bad. They're the worst of his career. Yeah. And I think the biggest reason is that he is, he's in these impossible situations and he's kind of forcing it. And that's just not where they need to be. Like, in the last five games, so that's going back to Notre Dame, they have run the ball early down, so that's first and second down, 53% of the time. The average success rate of those first you know, first and second down runs is 45%. Mm. That's terrible. Yeah. Like the most successful, you know, the, the outlier to that is the UCF game. And I think that's where they kind of got high on their own supply. I'm like, oh, we can, we can mash people. It's like, kind of like if you got a really hard box yeah you can match people but yeah. like UCF was without their top two defensive tackles yeah. it was playing a defensive end there yeah like no no, no. yeah okay. it, it's not that you're great at this now you're okay at it but you're better at other things so focus on the other things and that's that's where the frustration with his offense is I mean in terms of available yards and all that they were fine yeah. but they just put themselves in these really bad spots for no reason because they're making bad decisions on first down. I don't think they mm-hmm. like this defense understands the value of a negative play on first down. Mm-hmm. I don't think this offense does. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, and one thing I will say, and um, I think um, is that this offensive line is probably a little bit worse than older offensive lines. And then are then pass off some lines that you see had on the inside zone runs. And I, I and because, you know, and it's probably, but one thing I will say is that this offense O-line is more athletic than our old other offensive lines. And that, that bodes well for doing other things, the athleticism and, the, and, you know, and they have size, but it's not the type of size that mauls people, right? It's it's strength, right? It's it's like athletic build. It's big athletic built offensive line guys. It's not just fat, heavy, it's hard to move. Agent. Exactly. And so 
and before we had fire hydrants, we had a bunch of like dudes. <laughs> now we have a bunch of athletic lofts of line who can get like one thing I will say is that um Mets, his pulling ability is outrageous. He's always was, in the second level. His rock step is ridiculous. And like mm-hmm. that, that's one of the things that I always watch with him is like when you see runs that 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 Dave looked that we talked about um mm-hmm. after the UCF game where they're running that running back counter. Yeah. You see him rock back, like fully stand up and then just kind of take around in that corner at full speed. Like it's it's impressive to watch. But like right. they they are the this entire offense is so much better on the perimeter. Absolutely. And they're refusing to play the game there. They're still trying to play it in the phone box. And that's just not what this group is built to do. No. And and I don't know if that's – and, like, against UCF, they play the game out there. Against Temple, they play the game out there. Against Notre Dame, Indiana, that's where they play the game. Like, Notre Dame and Indiana were throw games. Yeah. But then they come into these games against overmatched teams, and they're trying to establish the run for whatever reason. Right. It's like – do some self-scouting. Like, I know the bye week's over, so you should have already done this, but, like, you have to know what you're best at at this point, and they don't seem to play every game trying to maximize what they're best at. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And the fact that in the first time, you know, you see Dez really take a uh, zone read, he runs 36 yards. He runs 36 yards. That this is one of those things where you're looking like... So, you know, it's there. <laughs> it's there all the time. Well, yeah, but it's, it's, you know? it's always there. And it's it is what like, I'm saying. I don't know if it's because they think it's unfair or unsporting or whatever. But like, <laughs> like this like isn't right. Just, we have to be gentlemen. They're, they're just not good on first downs. Like, their first down rate on early downs is they're doing it at 16%. Jeez. Geez, I, I you know I'm not really like, I don't Ole Miss is at like 35 percent, and I'm not saying you have to be Ole Miss. That's not you're never going to be Ole Miss because you're never going to run that many plays, right? But like, there, like the math at a certain point is just kind of overwhelming. Like you're mm-hmm. not you're trying to mash, but you don't really mash really well. So why is that the focus of this offense? Like they need to stop being 50 50. Yeah. No, I agree. It's not a 50-50 team. It's not. It's not. You come out, you run your little seven-yard hitch, you get that. You come out, you know, you run your you know, your little six-yard crossing route, you get that. You know, you might run an outside zone. If you have one, nobody knows what they do because we don't really see them. Well, I'm I'm guessing they do because you should. They, uh, they, they, flash, more, they flash more pistol, but they didn't right. run any. Everything they around flashed, it was, they was Exactly. Zone. What? So it, it's like, and not that I want to put more on the plate in terms of putting more, more stuff out there that you do. Right. Like, I, I really think they would be, they, they would benefit from cutting down the playbook a little bit. Yes. Not so much in, in terms of scheme. You can keep your base schemes and your couple counters. Right. Um, you know, Inside zone, outside zone, duo, Dave, and your your same side run game. So your your quick pitches with the pulling guard, your pin and pull scheme with Dez. Like mm-hmm. that's five schemes that you're pretty good at. Right. That's fine. But like 
stop trying to show it out of 30 personnel grouping in 50 stacks. Right. Right. If and and one thing I'll say about Ford is he's pretty good out of the shotgun. But if you I believe if you put that man who and you give him a head of steam before he, you know, uh before he gets to the line, I think he'll be so much because he's strong and he's powerful. He just yeah, he he and like you know, I, I'm not willing to completely concede that they're not they're not like this is all some like this, the flashing the pistol now right is not setting up some revolutionary change in approach later on. Yeah, that no, could no. happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Denmark loves to. No. <laughs> no, I mean, Denmark just he, he seems to like running a lot of unsuccessful plays to set up one good play. Yes, that's yes, that. Yep. Kind of like a yep. like a yeah. service academy coordinator, like an Austrian coordinator. Yeah. Where you run the same action. That's what UC reminds me of. Tape. That's what UC reminds me of. A uh, 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 spread power service academy. Like it's. Just... <laughs> yeah, but like when you had uh, an island of misfit toys at offensive line, and and Mike Warren, and really shitty receivers. That made sense. Yeah, right? you got like really big. Was fine. Heavy bodies that can move people. That's what you, you have had. Talent now, right? Right. Like, why are you not trying <laughs> exactly. to maximize your talent? Exactly. Like, you, you have it. Like, right. You know, Tyler Scott has had four targets over the last three games, which wow. is insane, right? Uh, I don't. It's frustrating to watch, man. And um, but you know. We can talk about the offense all night. We can probably literally sit here till 11 o'clock talking about the offense and why they do everything they do wrong. <laughs> um, but they do it's some off, good things. It's an offseason conversation. Exactly. I, like, it, it's, it's not that the offense is bad. It's that right. they, are, they are fine and they could be great. Exactly. That's the problem. Exactly. Um, this defense, I am always – this defense always leaves me in a place where I'm like, I don't have much to say. This week, watching the Tulane game, I have a little bit to say. I don't want to spend a long time on this. The 4-3 was mostly ineffective against Tulane. Uh, I, I was in, in – I hope that it was a Tulane thing <laughs> and because a 4-3 is a base defense for football. Uh when you set up a play, you usually set it up against a four-three. When you think of your, your if you think of your blocking fits, you you think of a four-three. Uh, they went into a four-three, and this this offense knew exactly what to do with it. Uh, and our defense is not used to a four-three, and so it was a little. They moved a little bit slower, and it probably had a little bit to do with uh, Navy coming off of Navy. Right. I'm not going to dismiss that, but they moved a little bit slower out of the four, three. They, they didn't in four, three responsibilities are a little bit different. Well, not a little bit. They're actually different than a three, than a three, three responsibilities. And you can see the Blanco then to me, the Blanco was kind of out of place in a four, three defense. Uh, you know, he could get isolated. He can get picked on, uh, that side. And he did did. in the sideline, the sideline, he don't move well with that. Uh, you know, and, and then, um, they try to run a bare front with the safety, uh, sometimes a corner or sometimes a corner or um, the outside linebacker, usually this uh, sniper uh, on the line of scrimmage who was getting bullied every time they did it. Uh, it just, I think Trestle's a really good 
coach. I think he tried to play around too much uh, with the defense this week, and some of that got exploited. Uh, especially, I think Cook. Yeah, Cook I, go ahead. No, I, I think the, the biggest, like, when he saw what the game plan was going to be, he, he kind of reverted to some of the, the Navy game plan. And that's, yeah. So they've got way better athletes right. in space. Right. Um, they could they could punish you in space if you don't have adequate gap coverage, and you can see that on the on the on the big touchdown run because mm-hmm. that was the first time in a long time where they really like blown like completely blown a run fit. Right. Um, and it wasn't just one thing went wrong. Like I saw somebody on Twitter blaming Beavers for getting kind of blown up by by a guard. That's like. It wasn't one person who, who screwed that play. Yeah, yeah, that, exactly. that play had a lot of mistakes. Yes, I agree. Uh, and and for me, just just watching defense when they went back to their three uh, three five and people got reacclimated to the three three five because you got to understand for one week they was in a four four and then this week they came out in a four three. That's two weeks been out of their base defense. Once they got settled back into the three three, they start moving and playing faster again. And started, and you can see the Blanco play his game again. The Blanco went right back into his mode. Everybody's and, and, and Pace even played better when they went back to the three-three. The three-three is a defense that is really hard to create run fits for. You don't know who's coming, you don't know where they're coming from, and you have to guess. And and there was and when they first went back into the three-three, there was a few plays that that uh, Tulane was successful on. Once they got settled back into the three-three, Tulane running game really got pretty much uh you know um handled. I mean they couldn't run the ball at all in the second right. half. Exactly. I mean like th- the biggest thing is the the way you see runs their their fronts um it's like it's like an option team running their shit. Right. Where every like the if you're not for the lineman, you play a lot of you don't see many three, you know, three fours anymore in, in college right. football. They're kind of gone. Um, you can't put that many linebackers on the field and be successful. It just kind of is what it is. Right. So everybody's either in a four two five or they're in a you know a three man, usually a tight front, which is what the I Iowa State kind of popularized to to combat the defenses in the Big Twelve, but everybody right. pretty much everybody west of Mississippi is running that until you get to the Rockies. Right. Um but the way that they run their front in the in the three two five, it's so different than everybody else that people aren't where you anticipate them to be. And right. a lot of offensive line play, and people don't understand <laughs> in general. People do not understand how smart offensive linemen are. Yes, intellectually, exactly. absolutely, it is the most demanding position. And, and like quarterbacks, number one, the second most intellectually demanding position on the entire field exactly yes 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 because you have to this is every step you have to identify the front you have yep. to identify the strength of the defense you have to identify the mic linebacker because mm-hmm. that's how you usually set your protections is based on where the mic is yep. you have to anticipate any blitz any stunts all of that in about 20 seconds yep you and the quarterback working in cohesion to figure all that out together and, yeah, and if you got a really if you got a really good experienced quarterback, right. he will help you with that. Right. If you got a freshman, good luck. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 once you went to the four, once they went to that four three, all that became easy to the O line. Once they went to the four three, that became easy to two lanes line. Because, yeah, because like I know what this is. Exactly. Exactly. And they know the four three better than you do. 
You're running yeah. a defensive scheme they know better than you. Especially when you only run that as a as a as a counter. Exactly. And so because your 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 secondary defense is a four two, it's not a four three. No, so, it's just a straight nickel defense. Exactly. And so and so we're in a place where you're running, you're you're outside of your and you can see the coaches readjust, right? They rent to a four three a few times in the second quarter. But for the most part, they went straight three three five and it was like because the four three, we're getting killed in this. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, and that's, so. that's I mean the 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 best systems in college are simple flexible and adaptable right and UC's is right you know and we, we talked about it at length in the last pod about how many answers this defense has that doesn't mean it's perfect doesn't mean mm-hmm. there aren't things that you can exploit like the run right. game is always going to be an issue playing this defense because if you do not cause the level of havoc you're trying to cause mm-hmm. with the offensive line you're gonna there, the opportunities to be creased are there and if your safeties aren't as committed to fitting into the box as they need to be, mm-hmm. you're not going to have enough bodies rallying to the to the football to, to really be successful. And you know, credit to Tulane, like they hit more explosive runs yes. than anybody else has this, this season. They hit five 10 plus yard runs. Yeah. Um, that's that's a lot more than everybody else. And like if you I can tell you exactly how many. Uh and no, for real, yeah. That then they they did a great job, and they were also going after UC weaknesses, which is the outside. Like UC weakness without Cook is the outside, and they was and one thing we know Cook was seemed to be a little bit banged up, and they almost seemed like they were hiding him a little bit too. Yeah, I, he looked like I don't know what happened. I mean, he looked like he hurt his Achilles, and that's generally a death sentence. But he got back on the field. Maybe it was just a, a calf cramp. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not a doctor, but that did uh, that did tighten my sphincter a little bit. Somebody said uh, Cook uh, actually was hurt from the last game uh, when he got. Remember, he came out the game the last game for a little bit and he came back. Oh yeah. Uh, they said that he was still injured too from that, and so that's where the limp came from. Uh, and if that's the case, I can see why they kept putting uh, Cook, you know, deep. Because that's where he was most of the time. Early defense is they kept they kept putting him uh, as the uh, safety valve, right? Uh, um, back about fifteen yards off of the line, and they kept allowing either Hicks or Pace to be the ones that creep up to the line where Cook used to be. What Cook used to do, uh, and Cook used to also be the one who who would kind of roam free across the defense, and he wasn't roaming free as often as he usually is able to do. And so. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, so they allowed five runs of 10 or more yards. That's the most they've allowed since the Miami game. And a lot of those Miami runs came deep into garbage time. So, like, they were not great fitting the run against Tulane. Um, and they just seemed a little – they didn't play with their usual level of physicality. Yeah. Um, and, and I like think that's for the like Navy. Yeah, that's the Navy. I mean, maybe it has something to do with it. Yeah. I also think that it's just really hard for this team to get up. It's really hard for most teams to get up for a noon game. Yeah. That too. I just on get, the road. This team has always been really bad at noon games. Can we just, like, noon games? This team has always kind of looked a little sluggish in noon games. Almost like I don't really know what happens. <laughs> but for the last few years, noon games hasn't exactly been Cincinnati's, uh, you know, preference. And playing except for UCF, except for UCF, yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah but like like in general, this team plays much better at night. And yeah. Like I think it's, and the other thing is, I think it's really difficult to go from playing in Nipper with that atmosphere to playing in some of these other stadiums in this conference mm-hmm. where the atmosphere is just, it's just not there. It's yeah. nowhere near the same. Um, no, I agree. And that's like, that doesn't fully explain it. Like it was just a, a average game where your talent went on in the end. Yeah. Um, like there was never a point where I thought Tulane was going to win. No. Yeah. No. Like never. Um, no. So like, it's it's nitpicking because the team is so good, but you know when you when they don't perform to the level that they're capable of, it is frustrating. Yeah. But you know the other thing is this team, and this is something that I try to remind myself of as much as I can during this season. Like, enjoy this. Yes. This yes. is awesome. Yes. Like this is, you don't get many seasons like this. Like this team is so good that when they're not as, when they're not at that peak, even yeah. if it's only a level below and it's not like down at the floor, um, it feels like a letdown. But you can't let that kind of get in the way because in five years, in ten years, so when we're looking back at the season, nobody's gonna remember the Navy game. No, nobody's gonna remember the Tulane game. They're just not. They're not gonna register at all because. Even though the Navy game got tight at the end, yeah, that's like it's like the UConn game from 2009. Yeah, yeah. Like that was a game where it was crazy, and UConn made it made a furious comeback late in the game to make it kind of kind of interesting. But at no point during that game did I think that they were going to lose. And when I look back at that season, it's more from a perspective of. Oh yeah, that UConn game was closer than I yeah, exactly, exactly. Like UConn was there. That's games, right, and that's how these games are going to be: the, the right. Navy game and the Tulane game. Um, they're going to fade into the background just because you're not going to remember. You know, you're not going to remember the the fourth and one punt that should have been a go. You know, yeah, yeah. because it just doesn't. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't resonate the way that, you know, Jerome Ford's touchdown against UCF did, or the way Des's touchdown against Notre Dame did when he when he beat him to the pylon, or Trey Tucker and his kickoff return against Indiana. Like those are the the moments that will be indelible, and all the 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 bullshit and, and nitpicking that we do because we're obsessive and we're fans and yeah. we love the sport and we love the scheme and we love the X's and O's and the analytics and all that shit. In the long run, you know that's not gonna that's not gonna stay with you. But the, you know, the feeling of a big win that never really, never really, not never really leaves you. I mean, it's when you look back, it's the result. It's not necessarily the process. No, I, and I, I completely agree. Um, and I think I think here's here, here's my final thoughts um, on this uh, this team uh, following what you just said. This team, I believe this team, I think I think Denbrock is eventually going to decide, not necessarily on a scheme or anything, but say, hey, this is where we have to live. You know, um, and 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 I don't, it's not gonna be, you know, whole, it's not gonna be all the way in, 
but I think he's going to be more willing to kind of get outside of what he wants to do um, and do what's best for us. I think, I mean, it's going to be, it's, you know, and it's, it's going to feel like finally right now is the end of the season. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> sometimes old men take a little bit longer to process. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and like, I think part of that is, I mean, one of the things they talk about in the family article is that they are constantly lobbying fickle to let them be even more aggressive in the passing game. Right. And like, you know, like I had the data that shows that they are a much better passing team than a running team. Even though right. they're a good running team, they're a better passing team because everybody's a better passing team than a running team. Yeah. On a success rate, explosiveness, it's much easier to generate explosive plays in the past. It's much easier to have a successful play in the past than it is the run. It's have you played video games? Yeah. Yeah. Video games I mean, is the perfect it's, <laughs> example. It's the difference between trying to win a one-on-one matchup on the perimeter and trying right. to run through seven people. Which one's exactly. easier? Yeah. Even if you go 50% on deep ball talent peers, the two are game changers. Right. Like, first only had two catches, but it was, like, for 47 yards. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's where they need to, 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 to lean as we come down the stretch in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's time. It's not cutting time. Like, you yeah. need to stop fucking around. Exactly. And Jerome Ford doesn't need 25 carries to get his yards, right? If you, if you got the passing game going, and teams are starting to focus on that. And teams are starting to focus on that. Uh, you know, Jerome Ford can get his 99-yard touchdown or however many yards, you know, he needs to get to the end zone because he runs a freaking 4-3 or something crazy. Uh, and, and he's 215 pounds. He's, he's a monster. And, you know, it's one of those things where focus on what you need to focus on, and Jerome will get his. I promise yeah. he will get his. There's well, no like, question. So for the season, it's the success rate of about 53%. But if you go game by game, right? so 58% against Miami, 61% against Murray State, two overmatched teams, that's kind yeah. of what you expect. 20 carries, 50% success rate against Indiana, 17 carries, 41% success rate against Notre Dame. And then you get into when he exploded, 67 Temple, 60% UCF, and then the last two games where he's gotten, frankly, too many carries, 47% success rate, 39% success rate. Right. Like, he is more effective in that 15 to 18 carry range yeah. than he is in the 20s. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, one thing I really liked about this game is that they got him involved in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's, he's super effective. Guess what? He was a former slot receiver. So, like, that's yeah. an area where there are opportunities to be had for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like, you're not going to get people. You're not going to get people to stop putting six and seven people in the box on first and 10. If you keep running it at 53% of the time. <laughs> if you, you keep running, running at them, you keep running at seven. People. Yeah. That, that's not how you get people yeah. out of the box. You get people out of the box by throwing successfully. You run a six people at seven people is always going to be. So, yeah, yeah. And like if you have if you have eleven personnel, and they have a six man box, and Des is actually going to run, right? You have a numerical advantage. Exactly. Des is not going to run. It's man on a man, and if you don't win all your one on ones, which they the offensive line has been terrible the last yeah. two games. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. Winning those one on one matchups. Um, 
You know what I realized? Then you're not going to be successful. A lot of defenses, a lot of defenses right now are are kind of so a lot of uh, uh, defensive line players right now they're kind of uh, crossing their body across our O line, and so they're not really going with our O line head to head so much as they're kind of slashing across slanting. them, slanting. Yeah, yeah, there you go. They're slanting a little bit more. It's not a it's not a hard slant. But they're not they're they're not going head to head with our O line, and our whole line has an issue with recovering when it it's not head to head. Issue with picking up yeah. twists and games from yeah. the defensive line that right. that has become apparent in the last two games. Yeah. Um, of the three of the three sacks they gave up, two are because they just straight up botched. Yeah. You know, like twists, like a basic te stunt, a basic yeah. you know te. So the tackle goes around and goes in. Yeah. They mess that up in the last two games, like, three times. You know, one of the sacks in the Tulane game was 100% Jerome Ford. Yeah. One blitz pickup. Yeah, he did. No, yeah, he did. And you could see him be mad. One he got them, mad that he knew yeah. he, it was his fault. Yeah. And one of them was uh, Jake Renfro chasing a guard. It was two things. It was one, Jake Renfro, you know, you, you split your line. So three to the left, two to the right. Mets for some reason, added on to a guy that O'Quinn basically had in control and pancaked him, which is good. The problem is he opened up like a six-foot-wide, yeah. six-yard-wide lane for the tackle to loop around and sack Des from the safety. Um, which, I mean, when, when you coach that, you say, hey, just get your hand on that guy, kind of touch him, but keep an yeah. eye on what's going on. You know, you don't ever completely give yourself up. And for some, like you said, yeah, don't turn reason, your shoulders. Yeah, don't turn your shoulders. <laughs> you just kind of put your hand on that guy to help out your buddy, and you just you keep an eye on whoever else might be coming. Yeah. He just failed to. I don't. He's new though. He's still learning, obviously. So, I mean, uh, they screwed that up. They've had two yeah. bad games in a row. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily their fault. It's it's like it's like this offensive staff watched the UCF tape. And decided that oh yeah we're 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 we're, we're gonna smash you we're, we're a team that's gonna mash yeah. that's just not what you do like that's yeah. not that what your running backs good at this offensive line is not that kind of offensive line yet um, maybe they can get there but they just seem to be much more comfortable playing in space than they are this is, duo a thousand times this is the most athletic line UC has had uh, ever since Fico has been here. Um, the 2009 line was really athletic as well, so I don't want to say ever. But since Fickle's been here, this is the most athletic line they have had, even though they have size. Usually, athletic lines are not very good at Smash Mouth. That's that's uh, for some odd reason it doesn't translate well between the two styles. When you when you and and I don't know if this is what they were going for, but this is what they have, and they have to adapt to it. Yeah, and like that's what bothers me about the running game more than anything else is they've shown more versatility in terms of same side running game, mm-hmm. you know, the counter power stuff, um, the quick pitches, like pin and pull schemes with Dez. Like they've shown more than they had, like they showed more in the Miami game than they've actually used in the rest of the season since. And, and that could be Deadbrock planting a seed that they're going to cash in later. Yeah. But like, you can't continue to have these bad offensive spells where you're putting yourself in bad positions because you think you're something that you're not. Right. And like this team can be an effective running team, but they need to have the threat of Dez. Yeah. 
and they need to make sure that defenses stay in a white box because they're getting killed through the air, but they just don't, they're, they're committed to balance for balance's sake. And I think it's a mistake. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing through eight games. Um, like this needs to be a 60, 40 pass run team. Oh, absolutely. It does. I, but I they're 50-50. I completely agree. Um, we just have too much of an effective game. Uh, and so we're, we're heading into this Tulsa game with, you know, ESPN college game day there, I suppose. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't have quite the luster on it that it could have had, but it's still happening. Uh, and this game, here's, so when I look at Tulsa, I see Tulsa. Who is Tosa, right? <laughs> I, I don't really see anything really different. Maybe their defense isn't as good, although their defense isn't terrible. Their offense is always going to be their offense. Um, their quarterback, Davis Brin, uh, he has 11 touchdowns to 11 interceptions. He He's is one, not the answer. He is one for one. Uh and going against this defense, they're probably going to really focus on running, but because they, they don't back, run the ball well at all, they don't. I mean, so the Derek Prince, I don't know, you know, there, I, I, I don't have a, a any injury charts right now, so I don't know. But as far as I can see, who they have, they're two running backs. One averaged five point nine off of seventy four carries. The other one averaged is four point nine off one hundred nineteen carries. That's Shamari Brooks and Derek Prince, uh, which isn't bad. And it can be effective. Uh, that's the lane they're going to have to go down because with this this defensive backfield and a quarterback who likes to throw picks to every time they throw a touchdown, it's it's going to be if they decide to throw, it's going to be really fun for you know Kobe Bryant and and you know Hicks and um, Gardner. Uh, it's going to be a fun night if they decide to throw. Let's just say that. Yeah. So, like, anytime I, you know, like we talked about my spreadsheet, and maybe I'll put it on Twitter or mm -hmm. uh, something so that other people can see all this fine work that I do. Um, <laughs> I, I do previews from College Football Data, which has like a team profile, kind of like Ken Palm, if you follow college basketball, mm -hmm. very similar, where everything gets kind of shaded green, good, red, bad, uh, gray, okay. Um, their offense is all red and their defense is mostly white with a little bit of red and one green thing. So they are very good at preventing explosive plays in the run game. So this is not going to be a game where you get Jerome Ford white unless you throw the ball first because they give up explosive plays in the passing game at a frankly astonishing rate. Um, like this is a game for Dez to go off. Yes. Um, like, I just don't see how they're going to be able to contain these receivers. The biggest thing, they're, they're missing a couple of big things from last year's defense, which was excellent. Um, first is Evan Collins making millions of dollars because he's very good at football right? Uh, in the NFL. And then their top two cornerbacks are Caleb Evans and uh, Mo Alley Gr Green. Mo Alley Green? Alley Green? Something like that. Uh, they both transferred to Missouri where they're having a – shitty time because Missouri sucks at football. Um, should have stayed at should have stayed at Tulsa. Yeah. Also sucks at football. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like so they were really good last year pretty much every phase. 
now they're really not. Like they, they stop explosive running plays pretty well, and that's about all they do well. Everything else they do is either average or terrible. Right. Uh, and that, like you said, that'll bowl very well for Des Ritter. Uh, you, you, offense is all red, which, you know, um, I have the same spreadsheet. I'm trying to get it up uh, right now because I, you sent it to me the first, you're like, hey, this always updates. And I'm like, okay. And so then it's like, that's how I spend my Sundays. I know yeah. I'm very, I'm very interesting. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you remind me, Hey, that spreadsheet exists. I'm like, Oh, right. He does. He did send that to me. So, but uh, no, but the fact that they are like this, I don't see any issues this defense should have. Uh, I don't see any issues this offense should have. They're going to be very angry. Um, I can tell you now the players, if not the coaches, the players will be angry. And, yeah, like this is going to be an ang- this is going to be a very angry Saturday. I don't yes. like. I, I talked about it in the open. Like, I don't think ESPN producers fully understand what they're walking into because no. this environment on game days. I mean, if it's if it's all fun and positive, I would be very surprised. Absolutely, because this fan base seems fucking furious. For a team that is 8-0 and number two in the country in, in polls among people who actually pay attention and they'll get paid off to do stupid shit. Um, this is a very good team. And everybody knows it, except for the playoff committee who doesn't want to acknowledge it because acknowledging that kind of goes against, goes counter to their entire business model. So right. obviously not going to do that. No. And, and, and here's, here's, here's what's going to happen. They're going to be very angry. The crowd's going to be very rowdy. The football team's going to be angry. They're going to feed on the angry, rowdy crowd. And there's one thing that this Cincinnati does team does is feed off the crowd very well. They did it at Notre Dame. They did it at Indiana. Yeah. They did it at all the home games. If you give them a crowd, whether for or against them, they feed off of it, and it becomes – they turn That's into a different team. Thing. Yeah. And I'm – I here's the thing. I can't say Tulsa won't score anything because this team has an interesting ability to allow other teams to score at least once. I you know, in one way or another. I will say that not too late, but Tulsa, 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 you know, is there's, there's no hard feelings. That's all I'm <laughs> like. There's really no hard feelings here. It's not you, it's not you, it's them. No, uh, and I saw one of the uh <laughs> the Twitter, Twitter people, because there's like five of them and they're all yeah. very active. It's like, oh, great. We get to be part of an all-day infomercial for Cincinnati and then we're going to get slaughtered. I'm like, mm, that's accurate. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and because this team does play through with emotions. When this team is – one thing that Fickle always says is, like, I want my team to live in a place of, you know, of even like an even-kill place. I don't want them to be too up or too down. This team lives off of emotion. This team moves off of emotion. They moved off of emotion last year. When they played that uh, Georgia game, that was a game of emotion. That was a game of uh, of feelings. Like there was an energy there that they 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 thrive off of. If you give that to them, they thrive harder than because when you when you when they when they're too calm, they don't. There's something about them. Like if they're too calm, if they're too complacent, if they're too even, they don't play as well. 
and that's what kind of was happening with the I believe that's what a lot of what was happening with the toe lane and, and Navy game as well. They just kind of walked into a place and kind of just played. They just played football. That's it. You know, walked out. Yeah. But that never happens at home. Right. Exactly. So so these emotions, it's it's going to be already anger already. And then you're going to feed off the crowd and you put that on top of that. Um, now, they can't get two because this team also had an issue where that those emotions can they become, can get a little yeah and mistakes, yeah and mistakes start to happen we've seen that as well and so it has to be a safe emotional place <laughs> you know but it's it's going to i believe that this game is going to get extremely like here's the thing cincinnati doesn't like uh cincinnati does not like uh temple this these coaches don't like temple the players who was there since 2017 doesn't like temple uh, they don't care who co- what coach is there. They don't care how the players change. All they remember yeah. is how Temple treated them after Temple beat them. And th- from then on, they just never liked Temple. And and uh, I, I think Fickle has a lot to do with that because he, he Fickle's one of those coaches you can kind of tell, like kind of let stuff kind of live, but he he's always... Oh, Fickle's a, Fickle's a devious motherfucker. Yeah. What's that? What's that even called? Yeah. Like his... I think there is the biggest gap between not that there's a, like he's perfectly comfortable in his skin, but like right. he, you can tell that he, he says he lives under a rock. We all know he doesn't. Right. He, he is more aware than he lets on. He likes to right. say that his wife tells him everything that happens. It's not true. It's not. Um, I mean, like, I'm sure they talk about it, but like, he just don't want to talk about it. He just don't want to have the conversation. That's his way of deflecting. Yeah. Right. He doesn't want to talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and he hates playing into, and like, honestly, I think part of the reason why it's, it's funny to me, the, the difference between how the national college football fandom, and like, I follow a ton of national people mm-hmm. from my SB Nation days. You know, Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, right. Danny, all of those guys. Like, I know them. I, I, I know, you know, how they think, how they, have, how they react. But the difference between how that UCF team carried themselves in 2017 and 18 mm-hmm. yeah. did not endear themselves to people. Right. The way this Cincinnati team carries itself does. Yes. Because – like they are, and, and Fick, I think Fickle is the biggest reason why, because he's not a self-promoter. He's not a climber. He's extremely comfortable with himself. Mm-hmm. He is the most sarcastic motherfucker I've ever seen. In oh, yeah. Conference. Yes. Um, he has total confidence in what he does. Like he has no self, not to say that everybody has self-doubts, but like right. he, most coaches are not comfortable in their own skin because right. they have to have, they have to have a, they have to have a, like a separate in-program and out-program out persona. Mm-hmm. Fickle doesn't. He's just he's just him. But you know who the other coach who was kind of like that, but completely different person, completely different person, but lived in a similar space. Kelly, Brian Kelly, was who he was, who he was. Yeah, Brian, I mean Brian, he's still he's still a CEO. Yeah, he's the same person at Notre Dame he was at Cincinnati. And our two best coaches have to had that person like that type of thing about them where they're not going to be who they're not <laughs> you're not going to get them being somebody different than who they were 
You're not going to catch them in a place that they don't want to be. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, Brian, I wholeheartedly believe, wholeheartedly believe Brian Kelly wasn't looking for another place to be. Notre Dame came to him where he really wanted to coach and said, hey, yeah. you want to coach here? And Brian Kelly said, yes, I would. This is my dream. <laughs> like, and he went, you know, and, and makes sense. Right. Like, it's one of those things where and for me, yeah. I look at. And, and, and so you have somebody like Fickle who kind of lives in the same place. I, I wholeheartedly believe Fickle ain't look, is not looking for any other place to go. And, and the truth of the matter is Fickle's personality is one of those personalities that you would almost see like because he is the way he is and he can live the life he wants to live kind of here at Cincinnati. I don't think he's really interested in going anywhere else. Um, now I can't say that for sure, but I just think he has a very his 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 just the way that he moves is more of a you know I can I can develop the monster I want to develop without anybody saying anything to me like I don't yeah. have you know and, and I can do this completely free of any real outside noise this is mine and he comes off of that type of person he's a wrestler wrestlers are very one-on-one-to-one individuals like one-on-one and you get to do whatever you want on that mat out within the rules within the confines of the rules uh you know and that's a very different personality type right because they, they they like to build off their own thing well um, like he's a he was a he, he went undefeated three years right. in high school right as a state champ right like extremely rare that doesn't happen very often there's maybe 10 people in ohio history who have gone three years undefeated in right. wrestling um like he didn't want to become a coach he was going to become a doctor right obviously smart right like he, the, the thing that i the vibe that i get with Luke fickle is that in this profession there are a lot of football smart people mm-hmm. like i'm actually smart right so yeah, like, yeah. yes Yes. I, I don't. I, why am I? Yes. Why would I worry about like all the other, all the other shit? And like I've known people in the coaching profession, um, some some family members, um, mm-hmm. not my family members, but people who I knew their family were were coaches in college. Right. And there's a vast difference between all the different head coaches. Like there are, there are head coaches who like they're all in their feelings a little bit, but like. Yes a lot of them just manufacture emergencies that aren't real. They're, and like that is they're prima like donna. They're, they're emotional prima donna. Ever do. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they're emotional. Prima, they're like, how can you say it? they're like, they were the, a lot of, here's the truth about a lot of head coaches. People won't say a lot of head coaches were the unpopular kids. Uh, they were unpopular football players who kind of fell into coaching like you know what i mean and and you can tell fickle has always kind of fickle has always been pretty popular <laughs> you know you can kind of get that aura about him he kind of understand how to how to navigate this space he don't have to he never had to search for friends or search for people to interact with they always just kind of been there and he just kind of navigates that space the best he like to the way he knows how see he strikes me as someone who doesn't maybe has a couple of really close friends uh, but like Everybody likes him. And exactly. Guess what I'm saying? Yeah. And he, and he doesn't right. care. Exactly. No exactly. To figuring out why people like him. Right. He don't. He just Whereas navigates other, that space. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of other coaches who get the high like 
fucking Dabo is a perfect example right. of this. Like need, like has this deep seated need to be told right. that he's special and unique. And yes. like I don't think, I don't think Fick gives a shit. Like all of them were the middle kids or something. Like you know, well, and that's why like when I you know one of my pastimes it was probably not healthy is to uh, Twitter search uh, Fickle and Jobs. Right. So Fickle LSU. Right. Fickle USC. I've done Fickle that a couple Louisville. times. Not often, but I've done it. But it's like. Everyone thinks that he is just like every other coach, and he's, he's just different. He's not he's a not. climber, and people no. cannot get it in their head that he's not a climber, but he's not. Like that doesn't like in the in the LA Times article with with Amy Fickle, she flat out said it. We have a list, right? It's not big, but we have a list, right? And we can all guess what the schools are. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one in Columbus, the one in South Bend, right? And that's probably the list, right? No, absolutely. Maybe the one in State College, probably not. I doubt it. I doubt it. Because if it's not Michigan State, it's not Penn State. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. Well, and East Lansing's a better place to live than State exactly. College. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, I'm you know, Penn State has a better historical history, but Penn State and Michigan State's on the same plane. Like in general sense of football, like in, in this, in this, in this um iteration of college football, Michigan State and Penn State's on the same plane of talent availability and and you know in in production right like penn state historical value is more yes but michigan's the penn state's not really getting better players than michigan state like it's just that's just i mean with coach fickle they might be able to but with coach fickle michigan state can get better players like you know what i mean like it's one of those things where he's like well, yeah, like Fickle recruits at the top 35-ish level at Cincinnati. Right, right. And that's with, like, a graphic department of, like, a dude, a recruiting intern of, like, another dude. Which is somehow the best graphics department probably in the country. <laughs> and, they do it with this, and they do it with the skeleton crew. Right. Because they maximize resources. Right. You know, yeah, you know like, Saban doesn't have, have to maximize resources because the resources are always going to be. Like, the, the big thing that Saban did is that he got all of the, the warring factions of Alabama boosters to yes. row in the same fucking direction for once. Right. And as soon as he leaves, they will go back to tearing themselves oh, yeah. apart. Oh, absolutely. That's what Alabama does. Absolutely. Yeah, Clemson's kind of in the same place. Like, Clemson may had a whole lot of money they weren't utilizing before uh, Dabble. They had a whole lot of money, and they just sat, in the, and they just sat there in that money. And they're like, so what do we do with this? And Dabo came in and was like, well, let's use it. And, you know, <laughs> this yeah. become a really good team. And, they, you know, it, it's one of those things where all you, there's a lot of these teams where you can just walk into them and be like, we have all the resources in the world to be really good. And this is how you do it. And if it goes to plan, you're going to be really good. <laughs> well, and like, this is, and this is the thing about, so there are college football jobs where you can win. Right. There are college football jobs where you can win big. Right. And there are college football jobs where you can get rich. Right. Fickle is not interested in anything no. but winning big. Exactly. So if you are not on the short list of schools who recruit at a blue chip level, and that's about 15 schools every year. In the Midwest Ohio-ish region. Right. There are three <laughs> of them, and he's right. not taking one of those jobs. Exactly. Exactly. Well, however much they want him to be the next coach. There's four of them because Ohio State, Michigan. Well, there's three of them now because he already said no to Michigan State. So you're right. There's three. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not going to Michigan. 
Right. No. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be brushed out backcourt. No. Um, you know, like, I don't think Fickle's going to be here forever. Uh, but as yeah. long as they keep, you know, the indoor practice facility is going to get probably announced here before the end of the year. Right. Um, or at least before the Big 12. They're going to the Big 12. Like, right. As long as there are ways that he can progress this program, he's not going to go anywhere unless it's that short list of jobs. I also um, think, though, like ambition-wise, not personality-wise, ambition-wise, I can see him being a uh, paternal uh, – Who's the Florida State coach? Uh, Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden tight. I can just because, and I'm going to say I don't expect him to stay forever, but I can see it because I, to me, his ambitions is more about being the greatest, being the best. A statue built, right? Like I can see his yeah. ambitions being more that than uh, just going somewhere to win. Right? Yeah. Like he, everybody, the comparisons with Kelly are obvious because they're in some ways, very similar, right. you know, Catholic True. guys, Midwestern, spent most of their career in the Midwest, kind of right. much smarter than they appear to be. Right. Um, but it doesn't remind me of Kelly, because Kelly was obviously a climber and he's not. He reminds yeah. me much more of Chris Peterson. Yeah. Where it's yes. like, I'm not going to be here forever. I think everybody here knows that. Right. But I'm not just going to take any paycheck. Exactly. Like he he only went to Washington because he was comfortable with Washington. He knew a yeah. lot of the people there. He knew a lot of the the staffers. He knew what the situation was. He knew what the resources were. Mm-hmm. He was very comfortable with it. Yeah. If he's not a hundred percent comfortable with it, he's not going anywhere. No. And, and like I'll continue to get into Twitter arguments with people about it, but it's like like a lot of national people. Well, not a lot of national people. Some national people are convinced that this is the last year. He's going to cash out. It's like. I don't know. Like he's not moving like that at all. Like he's, I, I think he is secretly really excited about the project of turning over this roster. Yes. To a new yes. group. Yes. Yes. I do too. And I think he's excited about taking it to the Big Twelve. I really think that he's excited about turning over the roster and 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 being able having another have another uh, uh another uh, what is it called uh, another territory right another yeah, territory. Another, another project. Another project. Like now it's the Big 12 that I can conquer. I came yeah. and I conquered the AAC. That was my goal. Now I can go to the Big 12 and I want to conquer that next. All you did was gave him another project to complete. Are you, you know what I mean? Another place where his competition can linger. And 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 I don't think he's in a rush to lose that because that's who he is, right? He he's he's a dominator. When you're a wrestler, you want to dominate everybody that you come up and you giving him another uh, opponent. To win against, and that yeah. just feels as like, to stay. Yeah, I I don't think like he's not gonna stay here forever. I know. No, that. Um, absolutely not. I don't think so either. I can see it, take, but I don't think so. He's not gonna just take any job. He's he's right. not interested in acquiring generational wealth. No, that doesn't see like he he's already made enough money. His kids are gonna be fine regardless. Exactly. Um, Especially working at Ohio State, too. making what two one something million. Working at Ohio State, probably for he probably made several million dollars in his eleven years at Ohio State. Yeah, he probably started out making sixty. Well, he by was the at, end, he had accumulated yeah. millions. Yeah, he was at sixteen thousand. He stayed at Ohio State for sixteen years. Probably those first four years, he probably made pennies. Nothing because he was a right. GA. Right, and you know what I mean. And then the you know, and then for the next what eight nine years, he probably made one 
1.5 million dollars a yeah. year not per um, year but in accumulation he probably oh, made over a million dollars there i mean because he was he was there before assistants were making real money well, like nfl coordinator money. well in the so when when he's working under meyer i think he was making at least one million a year under Meyer. i have to look it up but yeah i don't know uh, for sure uh regardless he's regardless, fine yeah. and now he's yeah. really fine yeah, so he's good. He he's not, you know. And it, I don't know. I just this Tulsa game. I don't have a whole lot to say. I know we kind of went on the tangent. This this is what it is. It's. I know we said two lanes gonna be a bloodbath. We didn't think that went through. <laughs> uh, no, I mean like that game didn't play out to the script. But like right. you see, missed so many opportunities. Like they missed. Like I said, right. they had ter- possession inside the thirty twice in the second quarter. And came up with three points. Right. Usually, they punch at least one of those in for a touchdown, if not both. If that's yeah. the case, you're talking 28-12 at halftime. Right. And nobody's saying a fucking thing exactly. about them struggling exactly. with Tulane. Which they never struggled with like, Tulane. No. They, I mean, they didn't, they didn't emphatically shut the door like they usually do. Right. But that doesn't mean that they struggled. They just right. missed an opportunity that they usually take. Right. And eventually – over the course of a season, you know, that's why you have statistics. It's why you have averages. Like, that's what they usually do. Their points for scoring opportunity is among the highest in the country. They are one of the best in the country. At but we know that committees aren't looking at statistics. <laughs> no, they, they're looking at statistics that, that uh, back up the arguments that they're right. making. That's right. all they look at. Um, so, like, I don't expect that to happen another game. I expect them to take care of business. And kill Tulsa. Yeah, because, absolutely. And the other part of it is they're coming home. Like right. game day is there. Like it's a huge fucking deal. There's no way this team is going to come out flat for that game. And yeah, it's at three thirty. It's not at noon. Yes, yes, that's another thing. Three thirty game. Three thirty kickoff. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, and it is going to be fun. Um. Uh. And everybody who's going there, make sure you make the best signs you can and make them. You know, because this is a visual medium, make them quote unquote wholesome. Uh, I would, you know, uh, you see my quote fingers there, I, wholesome. The, the signs that get confiscated are, are the ones I'm interested in. Yeah, that, that's what I'm like. When I say wholesome, I mean don't be wholesome. Just be as ridiculous I'm as sure, you can. I'm be. sure there will be a lot um, of fat bear signs. Yes, uh, and and really, you know, because this is your opportunity. Let them know how you truly feel. They don't care, but it's fun. It's fun nonetheless. Do it. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, and yeah, I think that this was going to be, I think we kind of had in our mind that this is going to be a tangent podcast because of the college football pod, uh, playoffs. And so, well, <laughs> yes, and I'm involved and I right. do tangents. <laughs> so, it's kind, uh, kind of my thing. <laughs> so, uh, once again, y'all, we thank you guys for listening to us and we, uh, will catch you guys next week. Uh, hopefully, um, probably won't be better news, but we can get back to, you know, celebrating a big win. Exactly. Enjoy yourselves.